It's the H Word Podcast. Hi. I am Becky. I'm Dan. Dan, how was your birthday? Birthday was nice. Yeah? Yeah. It was, uh, there was a meteor shower going on and uh, I couldn't see any of it. I never do. Is there always a meteor shower during your birthday? Yeah. Really? Yeah. The, what's ever, it? Since, ever since I can remember. It's, yeah, what's it called? The, do you know? I want to call it the Pleiades or Pleiades, but I just made that up. Okay. <laughs> it just felt <laughs> play, right. I'm really the trusting. Playa, the Pleiades. Play- sounds like a sounds like a, a Catch-23 improv team. I'll tell you. The Pleiades. I'll, I'll tell you. It actually was a word I pictured in my head, and it didn't come out of my mouth the way I thought it was going to even. Yeah, I want to say Pleiades or something, but yeah. Also, this might be totally off. Base, but you know, I've been reading the tarot and I'm trusting my instincts now on everything. Mm, Any impulse I have is correct. That's healthy. Yeah, I'm following my bliss. I'm just, it's great. Mm -hmm. I'm getting healthy, well. This feels like uh, I've seen a lot of sitcom, single sitcom episodes about this. About where someone decides to follow their bliss and it teaches them a lesson to never follow your bliss. No, follow the rules. Listen to right. your oppressors. <laughs> and there's right. a happy medium, though. Like, I don't know what that meteor shower is called, and I, I shouldn't just be making guesses. It's really, really deeply irresponsible of me. Yeah. Instead, you're the happy medium. Oh. Get it? I bet, it's okay. a, I bet the handle's already taken by somebody else. Oh, well, I betcha. Um, I, already, I always have notes, and then I forget... But I'm to read them? Well, or they just seem insufficient. Um, oh, you second guess your notes. No, I feel like... Your I've, impulses are right. I feel like I've missed something. Oh, yeah. Everything oh. we're doing is right every single second. Everybody. You're doing great. Um, how was your week? Week was... Um, week was okay. Uh, uh, I don't know. Uh, I, I guess I was concerned. Last episode, I was concerned about my diabetes. Got my blood work done. Oh, yeah. Didn't don't don't have diabetes. Oh great! Don't even have don't even have a B twelve deficiency. Oh great! And you made sure to really kind of starve yourself and whatever, so that you know you'd be sure that these <laughs> that these were correct results readings. were properly yeah. tormented. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, good. Um, Congratulations. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um. I am back to recording sitting on my creaky chair in my office because the sound in the last episode was so bad. Something happens when I move around in the bed. (laughs) (laughs) And the setup wasn't working. And it also kind of hurt my back to lie down. Yeah, I'm back to standing. Oh, standing. Okay, well, it's good that we've we've explored some other options. Um, Yeah. Also, while editing the last episode, I realized I introduced a segment, podcast I haven't listened to, but I only did a review of the past one. I didn't talk about the new one I was going to listen to. Oh, okay. Well, let's uh, clean that up. Okay. Um, So, I made a point not to listen to it this week because I hadn't mentioned it on the podcast. I think it's really important to make a bunch of really difficult rules for your life. Mm -hmm. Lots. A whole just basket weaving of them. Um, I'm going to listen to Nostalgique. C'est quoi ça? C'est une podcast de Toronto. Um, I don't know how you say hosted in French. Well, we reached the end. Broke the spell. Um, hosted by Abba Amaquando and Ben Sosa Wright, uh-huh. who are some Gen Z cool kids in the scene. <laughs> and I'm really interested to listen to this one because, like, um, for past guest of our podcast here, Brandon Ash Mohammed is on it, but I was like, what are people 20 years younger than me nostalgic for? <laughs> like, I'm not going to know anything they're talking about potentially. Right. I, I stopped paying attention a long time ago to anything that was happening. <laughs> Except for my wet ass pussy. Oh, yeah? You got a report on that? Yeah, I've just, my pussy's wet. <laughs> oh, cool, cool, cool. But, um, but just because I spilled water all over. <laughs> ah, I see. On, yes. on accident. Yeah. That made me really uncomfortable. Why would I say that? <laughs> to you, to the world. Proud of these women for being so sex positive, but it's it's not for me. <laughs> <laughs> Every impulse you have is right. Yeah, my shame is correct. My yeah. heart just started beating faster. Okay. I got, <laughs> I got really scared. <laughs> No, it is not my place to be a sexual being. 
Shame <laughs> is my domain. <laughs> <laughs> yes, back to the comfort of the shackles of shame. How's your week in shame? Uh, the week in shame, um, ups and downs, um, uh, but, but, you know, therapy's great. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, it's, it's just, it's an environment where, wherein you can feel comfortable, uh, or at least I can feel comfortable trusting that someone is, um, you know, giving me boundaries to my own shame. Oh, you know, that's nice. Yeah, because it's like, how deep does this go? And then you talk to a professional, and they're like, only this deep. And you're like, okay, great. They're like, it's impossible that it's bottomless. Yes, exactly. Yes, nice. Um, yeah. I, I also had counseling this week. I've accessed free counseling, so it's less often. Um, okay. But this was actually going to be where my hopeful was sourced. Ah, Interesting great. to bring this up. Um, because I am reading the news, but I'm doing a little bit less of it. And I realized, like, it was a really, really difficult session. I haven't been in therapy for years and years. And I was like, I have to do some very major work on myself. Mm. And it's okay to do that. And not to sit around worrying about everything in the world that I can't help with right now. Right. You know, it's not to let yourself off the hook completely, but yeah, I got some pretty major stuff to to deal with to become a functioning human being. Mm-hmm. But that's, so my hopeful went completely internal of like, one of the reasons not to do that work or to avoid doing it is thinking that it's hopeless and you won't ever get better. Yes. In any way. And yeah. It's kind you know of, what I yeah well that what that makes me think of is um the what my constant struggle is this this nebulous notion of sitting in your feelings or sitting in your shame right um and you know I'm always you know it's like you all all people can say is that phrase you know like sit in it stay with it this kind of thing yeah and like I I'm constantly struggling with like what does that actually mean yeah. like um and. It's so, um, like, part of that questioning is, is that fear that you can't escape it and that it won't shift if you sit in it. Yeah. And my feeling is like, have I not been sitting in this this whole time? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it doesn't, yeah. it hasn't been feeling good. So. Yeah. But I let think- me, like, let me know what sitting in it feels like. So, cause I'll just start doing that all the time, please. I'd love to. Yeah, or like, I've been sitting yeah. in it for 42 years, and I'd like to be feeling better, and I'd like to get more done in my life, and I'd like to be effectual, you know? Because mm-hmm. we're going to die, and I'd like to be doing more useful stuff for other people and myself. Right. You know? I mean, it's fun to zone out and watch the six episodes of that wellness show on Netflix that I absolutely did in the past couple days. <laughs> um, Which one is that? It's called Unwell. Okay. It's, um, there's a content warning throughout lots of people misusing wellness for very nefarious <laughs> reasons. <laughs> like deeply, like, you know, when you're doing sex therapy, like already we're in a bad zone, but like potentially, but it was, it was fascinating. But also I'm like, why in my mind going, why am I watching this when I have work to do? Mm-hmm. Anyway, mm-hmm. it also feels, it also feels to me just so selfish to work on oneself. Ah, interesting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this idea that there is work that can be done. And I actually don't believe I'm going to get any better in a cognitive sense, but I still have a separate kind of faith that I should try. Hmm. I know. And that's where the hope comes from. Yeah. And there's, and there's also, I mean, you know, it's really classic stuff, but like, and I start getting teary, even when I think about any of this. So I don't know what the fuck I have to deal with inside myself, but it's big, you know? But like, you know, this counselor saying, you took a step because you called. Mm -hmm. Like those little cognitive thoughts are really important because I honestly just felt such nihilism and hopelessness about everything. It's not Mm -hmm. that life was terrible, but it was that certain things were never, ever going to get better. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that, and I think that, um, a lot of the struggle, 
can actually just be the dismantling of coping mechanisms. Mm. Um, so all of the, like, like you say, it's like, I have something big to deal with. It's like, it's, I'm sure it's true, mm-hmm. but like, it's possible that w- what the big task is, is simply taking off the wrapping, you know, the coping mechanisms that are all keeping it in place. And then it's like, uh, sometimes I felt like breakthroughs around shame can actually feel quite simple when it's like, mm-hmm. oh, this, once you actually get to the core, it's the getting to the core that is so, um, so hard because it's so, it, it's so unappealing. It's like, it's, it's, it's taking away all these things that you have collected to help you. Yeah. Well, yeah. for me, actually, I just feel like, like there's so much trauma and I don't want to go back to it. All right. But I think you have to, mm-hmm. you know, and that's it. I'm like, it will be horrible. It will be horrible. <laughs> yeah. And well, you don't, you don't have to like, there are certain, but you have to, if, if, you know, you want to like, like you say, like, I want to like help people and like, I'm not helping people now. So it's like, if you need to change that, then yeah, you do have to go through it. But like, yeah. There is a way that you can, like, if you've coped this far, it's possible to keep coping. Um, yeah, but, but I'm not functional properly. Yeah. And so that's then, yeah. the thing, and it's hurting. It's not good. But, yeah, just, but even, yeah, even wanting to do that or taking steps towards it gives me hope. So, it's a macro thing, I guess, this week, or micro thing, and... I'm tuning out some of the macro stuff because there's nothing I can do about some of the things I'm reading about. It's just terrifying. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Did you have any hopefuls? Um, I, uh, I, um, my, my, my girlfriend reached out to, uh, a bunch of friends yeah. and asked them to send me a loving message on yeah. my birthday, yeah. including you, yeah. Becky. And, uh, <laughs> And it was great. And it, and what it reminded me of was what it sort of forced me to do was to like feel this gratitude that I have for my, for the people that I love in my life. And I, and it was actually the expressing the gratitude that felt so good and was like, oh, that is, that is the reason that, you know, that's, that's the connection, I guess. Between people and and um, so I kind of struggled with getting all of those because I have trouble accepting love. I think yeah, and uh, and so once I was sort of like uh, shunted into this position of like reckoning with that the, with, with the fact that there are people that love me, uh, it was it was so uh, so beneficial to express that gratitude to people and. Um, it was a real part of the it was a, it was a part of the shame journey this week so that was great. Yeah, and I knew it was coming. <laughs> you did. <laughs> I had a secret to keep. <laughs> <laughs> you did and you kept it. Yeah. Um yeah, it's, that's such a lovely way to frame it too that like the gift the, the gift that was given to you is many things but one of them being your opportunity to express gratitude and how good that is for you. Yeah. I find that really interesting. Yeah, it, it was. It's just one of those things where it's like psychologically healthy, but it's not a tool that I grab at all. It's not. A, it's not reflexive for me. Right. So I had to have my hand forced to it, and then I was like, "Oh yeah, this thing that makes me feel good and helps connection, which is really all I'm after anyway." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's not like you're not someone who doesn't want to say thank you. No. <laughs> so it, and it's like win-win. Oh, that's yeah. so lovely to hear. Yeah. Aww. Um, yeah, it was a delight and it was a delight to watch the whole video. Even <laughs> like, even for me, the friends, other friends who were there, I'm like, yeah, we're really very not connected right now. Yeah. It's nice to even see people's faces. Um, yeah, for sure. We have a very special interview. Okay. Um, further to the theme of my podcast, I'm going to listen to, we've got Gen Z in the house tonight. Nice. Generation Z. I don't know what we call okay. it in Canada. A John is Charlie. Oh, fantastic. Um, I mean, he'll introduce himself, but comedian, writer, coder, map studier, 
multi-talented. Cartographer. It's not a cartographer. He says the actual word and I don't have it in front of me. Oh, okay. Cartologist? No, it's something else. I want to say geomancer (laughs) and I know that's not right. (laughs) (laughs) But today it's right. But you know what? Follow your instincts. John says a geomancer. Actually, he might be. I'm going to ask him, but not in this interview because it already is recorded. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Okay, let's listen to that. Okay, cool. Bye. It's Becky. I'm back, and I'm joined all the way from across Toronto by Ajanis Charlie. Hi, Ajanis. Hi, Becky. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Yeah. It is oh, yeah. sunny. The sun's starting to set. This is all visual information that I'm sure the audience isn't getting. Well, it's um, nice to feel it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I was just outside in the day, and it's pretty warm out there. I'm glad. I'm glad, like a nice warm or like a ooh sweaty gross warm. Um, it was okay. It was all right. Um, I have noticed that I think as I was texting you because I was late to the recording that I'm like the outside now seems to just move so slowly to me based on how quickly I, I can you know get from one place to another in my apartment. Hmm. <laughs> it's not- a different. It's a different world. It is a different world now. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's the same as it always was, but I forgot how long things take, and I don't know. Yeah. It's weird. Time for me feels like it's moving so quickly and so slowly at the same time, mm, yep. which is maybe the most boring observation to make this far into the pandemic, but it's what I have. Um, it's not boring. It's this year. It's 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 its essence. It's what's happening. It's 2020. It's 2020, baby. Um, Janice, I start the episode usually, the interviews, by asking my interview subject, yourself, to introduce themselves. So who are you in this world? What do you want the audience to know about you? Okay. Hi, I'm Janice Charlie. I'm gay. I'm black. Um, I'm short. I am... What do you need to know about me? Some outstanding things to know about me are my geomatics degree burgeoning comedy career and debt incurred mostly because of those two things. Ah. Um, and I make things sometimes. I'm not good at introducing myself. No, that was perfect. Um, what's geomatics, please? Geomatics is this intersection between geography and computer science where I use data to make maps um, I've worked a lot with specifically the like provincial government I've worked with for almost two years, um, on like internships where I would, they'll have like a data set they want mapped. Like what's the, what percent of the population voted in each district in Toronto? Mm-hmm. And I take that question and whatever like population data set we have for Toronto, and I would turn that into visual information, i.e. a map. Um, and that's really what the core of geomatics is, using data, remote sensing data, so like satellite information and like satellite imagery. Google Earth, basically. It's like Google Earth. Right. That's that's that. That's one half of my life. <laughs> well, but that's also, so that mapping has intersected in... Um other facets of your life too, like your comedy and then activism too, yes? Yeah, I I think it makes a lot of sense for activism because it's just about every problem is inherently spatial, most problems at least, and you could ask a lot of questions of what are the geographic properties of of a problem, and with that comes all the like social intersections um a less natural wait a minute i'm gonna stop you for a sec most problems are spatial yeah like um what's an example like you have a you have a restaurant and it's doing well and you want to put you want to put down another restaurant so that's spatial in the sense that you want to look at where other restaurants are at the population density there's that whole spatial component um but there's also things like like health Health geography is a very specific discipline of geography where you're asking questions of, like, 
disease spread and how that physically manifests or how distance from, um, from health, like accessibility, like what does that physically look like? That's something that could be mapped. Um, it's, yeah, it's everything, so many things. I want to hesitate to say everything because I'm the kind of person that's like, if you don't cite your sources, what are you even doing? Right. Um, but most problems have a certain spatial component, and that's what I'm interested in looking at. But, like, relationship emotional problems? I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure that applies, too. Huh. Um, the, the, the core tenet of geography is that closer things are more related than things that are further apart. And I'm sure that people can verify that distance does create an emotional toll or is a sort of tax that you have to consider in relationships. So that's a bit more of a stretch. But that also uh, feels pretty 2020 thinking about distance and relationship because that's shifted very radically. Yeah. It's a, it's a very interesting topic. I don't know. That's definitely thesis worthy. <laughs> okay. Um, but who knows? I don't know if I'm going to do any more school, so I'm going to think about comedy for now because it's slightly easier. Well, okay. So in your comedy, I've been watching your show um, Wednesdays at 4.30 on Bad Dog Comedy TV. And mm-hmm. I did see this this um, geomatics work intersect with a comedy piece where you did a correlation between police activity and COVID, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, so what I did was I took some spatial data that City of Toronto had. They had the number of cases per ward in Toronto. Right. And I also took the the locations of every like police station in Toronto. Um and I had these two layers. So I put I had this city of Toronto, this map of Toronto with these coronavirus cases, and I put that police station location layer on top. And then I basically asked the computer, um, if we divide all of these wards based on which ones do and which ones do not have a police station in them, which, uh, what is the average number of coronavirus cases when you make that division? Right which leaves you with these two columns. One is with police stations, one is without police stations. And it turns out the ward, the wards with a police station had a higher average uh, COVID case rate than those without, which is, it's not good science. No, it's, that's, that's <laughs> the correlation is not causation. But yeah, that's exactly that yeah. problem. Yeah. Um, but for the sake of making the joke, it was enough. And, um, that's like one of the few times I was able to like use my data science and geography skills to make a joke. (laughs) What do you think the actual relationship is between police stations and COVID in Toronto? It's such a complicated issue. That is a huge issue. I mean, Um, we'd have to be citing sources and now we're just sort of making guesses, but (laughs) yeah, I have some guesses. Um, like we do know that the we do know that the incidence of coronavirus in Toronto is higher. It's more prevalent in lower income communities and yeah. marginalized communities. And those same places are the same places that are likely being over policed today. So, yeah, I mean, what what it means is another question. But the these are like two racialized issues that have probably have some sort of interaction. I mean, this is the world of what that comedy piece said to me, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's beautiful to get to watch your your two areas dovetail like that. And then the third one is activism. Yeah. So what have you been doing with this work in activism? So I've been trying to make this, I've been trying, I made this app called Cop Out, which is this like, web-based mapping application that lets protesters uh, access a live map. So when the boots are on the ground and they're out protesting, they can pinpoint um, active events or important locations like safe houses or like if there's a fire, 
They could use an emoji or an icon, place it on the map, and everybody else in that city or that area will be notified, this this fire just happened. Hmm. And everyone has access to view that information. And has have people been engaging with it? Uh, that's another story. Um, okay. It's... The outreach has been much harder than the development of the app uh, for many reasons. Um, one is I'm trying, I personally don't have too many con- uh, contacts in the higher up rungs of Toronto or international activism. Right. So trying to reach from the bottom up um, is a challenge. Um, made some steps, but it's still a challenge. Um, and Protesters have a tendency to prefer locally sourced um, resources, hmm. which makes sense. Uh, but so for like what I've been doing essentially is cold calling a lot of organizations that are doing active work. Right. Um, and a lot of that active work is happening in America. Toronto is kind of an apathetic city in that sense. So it's, try to, it's hard to make it take off here. Hmm. But from their perspective, it's it's kind of weird to see some random Canadian guy reaching out on Twitter being like, hey, you want an app? You guys need an app? Like yeah. a random organization in Seattle is not going to be like, it's going to be a little apprehensive about whatever I'm reaching out with. Right. Interesting. Well, I mean, that's part of the, it's one of the many reasons I wanted to talk to you on here because I know about this app and want it to be used because it seems very useful. It is useful, and it, uh, the just the pure idea of having a live map has more applications than just protesting, so maybe that's the next way to think about it. Well, so people who do want to use it in their cities, what do they have to do? You go to copout.app, and all of the information that is placed on the map is viewable to anyone. Um, no, nothing needed. All of the information is readable, but in order to post events, you need to contact me or an organizer working um, with me, who has worked with me, um, for a token. You use this token to log into the app, and then once you're in, you can then post events. You can then post icons onto the map. Right, and that's so that it doesn't get filled up with, like, trolls and stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The idea is to have this, to distribute these tokens to community organizers so that the people who need access to the app most are the people who gets it. Right. How has this process been for you? Interesting. It's been, I've gotten to learn a lot about software development by trying and failing a little bit and trying Mm -hmm. again. Um, I've always wanted to use my mapping experience for practical means. Um, like there's a reason why I've never done like work in the private sector. Like all of my internships were provincial, like public service, public service, public service, the Netherlands, public service. Oh, um, uh, the Netherlands was research term where I was studying like weather effects on muscles, which was its own thing. Um, (laughs) (laughs) that's interesting. I guess. Yeah. It was climate change related. It was more, they, I was working with this school to, oh, oh, my editor's calling me. (laughs) Oh, I don't, should I make a harsh transition? Um, What do you mean? No, I should finish my sentence. I'll I'll finish, see, I have a problem. Um, I'm going to finish my thought here. So I was working with a school in the Netherlands to um, determine where the best places to grow mussels in the North Sea adjacent to the Netherlands based on meteorological conditions. Okay. So there's like different spots that they like to fish from, but my job was to use like actual satellite data to say, hey, you guys tend to get a better return in this part of the sea than in that part of the sea. Oh my goodness. Um, yeah. Uh, do you have to take this call? Um, I'm gonna hope that she'll be fine. Um, we can cut this out if you need to. I mean, I know where to... (laughs) Your editor, for what? Oh, this is the thing. Okay, Okay, this is the thing. (laughs) Uh, so, Ajanis, when I contacted you, well, we were going to record on the weekend. We both, for our own reasons, decided to, that weekends were important and that working on the weekend is capitalist (laughs) meanness. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, 
But you did say that you were under some stress that you had, but you had big news that you would only say on the air, which is delightful to me as a podcaster, because that means I've got some big scoop, I guess. You have the scoop, I can <gasps> confirm. What is it? What's going on? I am working on a short documentary with the National Film Board of Canada. Oh my goodness. On what? On me. <laughs> Great. Yeah, I am. I applied for this. Um, like short production program thing called From Where I Am. Uh-huh. And we were asked to pitch a short documentary with a theme of like, how is your family uh, quarantining in this COVID era? Mm. I sent in a pitch, thought it was a shot in the dark that it would never be considered until I got the email saying, yeah, we considered you and we picked you. So... Since then, I've been working to shoot, write, shoot, I guess, direct, um, and edit this short piece. You're doing all of it? I have an editor, so technically I'm not the one cutting the movie, the, the, the thing up, but I'm helping, like, point her out to the exact moments yeah. in all the footage to arrange, which is so much work. Yeah. I didn't know. Yeah. I did not know. <laughs> Well, you do work hard. You write a whole original show once a week for just, it just happens and then it's gone. <laughs> it's a lot of work. I should really reconsider the, the business model I have going there, but it's, uh, I like work. I like, I, this is work that I like. Like I am, I'm feeling good about what I'm able to produce lately. Yeah. Um, and this is another one of those projects where I feel like, um, I can see how, like, I'm learning so much just in the process. Um, so what, if, if it's not too much spoilers, like, what, what's the pitch? Like, how is your family quarantining? What, what's your angle? Um, mine is, I spent a lot of time outside of my family home because I was at, in Waterloo at school for the past five years. Mm. And in Toronto, where I've been living during COVID for the past five months. Yeah. So I decided to go home, spend some time with my family, and bond by coming out of the closet to each member of my family <gasps> on camera. Oh my god! Just gosh. like shake things up. Yeah. How has it been? It's been good. I've got some good stuff, I think. Okay, great. I Coming out juicy. stories always <laughs> make me kind of like excited and kind of, and scared and fretful. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad to hear it's been good. Yeah, it's good. I, I've already done the work for like the past 20 years of my life. So the prep has been, it's already been done. It was just a matter of having a, a, a reason to put a structure to it. Um, yeah, but I meant the conversations. Oh, yeah. Yeah, easy. Whatever you know. Yeah, it's um, you. I. I. It's an interesting topic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and to be fair, I'm cheating a little bit because I did come out to my mom two times already, but I don't think she really heard me those times. So I'm considering this one my official coming out. That's fair. I think you're allowed to define it. Yeah, it's mine. Wow. Well, I'm not surprised that they went for it. That's a wonderful pitch. So is this why you've been traveling back and forth? Yeah. Mm. I went back home to Durham region, mm, Durham, yes. Ontario. Um, spent like uh, just over a week there, just more just under two weeks, but that's a correction that's unnecessary. <laughs> it's okay. Um, and... It was just like shooting me and my siblings and my mom every day trying to get some good footage. The original angle of the thing actually was that I would reconnect with my estranged father who I hadn't talked to in like 10 years and come out to him. Uh -huh. But our conversation actually ended up being really boring. So I'm cutting it out. <laughs> That's fascinating, ironically. <laughs> Right? <laughs> maybe I should put it back in now that that's... The, the act of cutting it out is maybe what should be put in, but... um, Yeah, like maybe saying what you just said to me. <laughs> like, that's pretty great. <laughs> it's well, you know, there's still time. It, picture lock is Friday, so that's the last... That's the absolute last moment I can make any changes to the thing, so... This is yeah, amazing. And what are you it? shooting it on? Did they give you equipment? 
Yeah. We we shot it on an iPhone 11, actually. Oh, my goodness. Using a gimbal, like a f- phone gyro mount thing um, that I, like, handheld camera around. And it's been cool. I think the reason why is because we, we have such a short timeline, and it would probably take too much time to learn a whole new, like, learning how... To use a camera, which I don't know because I went to school to make maps and not to make um, film. So used a phone, but it was a good experience, and I think it it looks pretty good. Well, so. all film, like all problems, is spatial. So, mm-hmm. film is a spatial issue. <laughs> film is a spatial issue. Time is a spatial issue. Mm-hmm. Um, what what after after becoming like a certified map genius? Where did the transition into performance and comedy happen and how? Um, well, performance and comedy preceded the mapping. Okay. So, um, I, in high school, I, I went to the improv club. I was lucky because the year I started going to my high school, Pickering High, represent. Ah. It was the same year that one of the drama teachers there, a new drama teacher, um, established an improv club and made that a priority and an actual thing. So I got to start doing improv like every week, fell in love with it. Um, and a couple of years in, we were like, let's do a sketch troupe. So we, we had a sketch club at that school. And then I wanted to keep doing it outside of high school. So I joined my university's improv troupe. Um, University of Waterloo represent, uh-huh. even though I don't know if I'll go back to Waterloo. It's far. Yeah. And uh, for a good while, I was just like, just on this troop, hanging out, doing improv every week. Fine. But then one of the other members of the troop was like, why don't we go to Toronto and take classes together? You know, just drive down and drive back up. Mm-hmm. Um, or in my case, go bus down, go, bu- go bus back up. Right. Um. So I did. I was like, you know, you, how, how, how much could it hurt taking a go bus from Guelph, where I was living at the time, to Toronto to take this two-hour class at Bad Dog? I'll do it. And I did it. And I didn't stop doing it. I took another class. I took the Ensemble Studio Series at Bad Dog. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was great. And I decided, Toronto's here. It's pretty accessible, if I don't mind six hours of busing a week. Yeah. Um, why don't I just keep going? And I did, and I am still going, and that's my story. Well, now you're here. I'm here. Somehow we've trapped you with COVID. I know. <laughs> but you got, know, you got your own TV point. show on, on YouTube, <laughs> so it's pretty fast. It's worth it. Okay, well, starting young really helps explain how good you were so young <laughs> the first time I saw you. There we go. I... <laughs> Yeah, I was working a little bit. I was I was uh, playing around. Um, yeah, but, but that's it. That's yeah. the whole game, right? Is <laughs> playing around. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So the central question of this podcast is sort of: What is hope? Is it useful, or is anything making you feel hopeful lately? Do you have any answers for any of that? Oh man, it sucks because I think I'm innately hopeful. <laughs> which um, <laughs> suck. <laughs> it's not very 2020 of me. Um, I I think what keeps me hopeful is thinking locally Mm. um, and having the mindset of, I'm just going to leave every place I go slightly better Mm. than how I left it, than how I entered it. Did I mess this phrase up? I don't know. I understood. Yes, thank you. (laughs) Um, And I just think that if I maintain that mindset and try to spread it to other people and they hold on to the similar point of view, then eventually we'll all be kind of gently cleaning up our, after ourselves and we slowly make the world a better place. Mm. I think thinking too, if you think too much on a large scale, it becomes such a daunting and impossible task and it's scary. It seems impossible. Yeah. Um, so I just focus on what's around me. How can I make things just slightly better? And how can I, I want to be like as toxically positive, not toxic, because toxic means I want to be contagiously positive so that right. other people around me are inspired to do the same. Yeah. Positive infection. Yeah. Yeah. Like a, a, a kindness 
coronavirus, a corona kindness. Um, yeah, we can map the spread of that. What what things are you consuming right now that are giving you sort of this forward motion or inspiration? Oh, what am I consuming right now? Other bad dog comedy TV shows have been really nice to see like people really come into their own and use the show as vehicles of expression yeah. and coming together. I just did an episode of Aika's Kitchen. I saw it. It was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so Aika, yeah. Aika Kinagawa, Aika's Kitchen is, um, Aika has a guest on, they bring in food. I guess it's from your culture or food that you like. And then she mm -hmm. makes it into a roll of sushi and, um, they both eat it. And, um, Ajanis was the first, like, bratty ingredient. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the right word is, but, but and, no, that is accurate. But her like original write up was like, bring me anything, I'll make it into sushi. And so far, it's been like great. It's been like I don't like donair and yeah, spam, um, plantain, spam silug, yeah, plantain, plantain. Um, I still say plantain, but you've I you know plantain. You got you got to learn plantain, plantain. Um, yeah. Anyway, so but Adonis <laughs> brought in. Um, well, there's one ingredient that was like good. It was salt fish and aki and salt fish. Aki and yeah. salt fish. The other one was a Joe Louis, and I don't know if these are Canadian, <laughs> but it's like it's like a gas station mm -hmm. mm. sweet mm -mm -mm. chocolate cakelet. <laughs> it's a cakelet, and it is Canadian Louis Vachon. That's that's Canadian. Oh, I hope I'm not getting this. I I, I looked it up. And it's Canadian, but if I somehow I'm wrong, then I'm going to be very upset for shilling for an American company fronting like it's a Canadian classic. Hey, that's Tim sure. Hortons. That's classic Canada. Yes, right? <laughs> that's what we do here. That's what um, we do. But Oh, I should have put a Timbit in that sushi. <laughs> someone will get to it. Someone will get uh, to have Timbit sushi. But anyway, yeah. it was um, it was the first... I mean, I've watched a few of these episodes. They're great. And it was the first one that... It made Ayaka cry. <laughs> <laughs> It was, it was so oh, disturbing gosh. to her senses. <laughs> yeah, um, it truly has that effect on people. Joe Louis sushi, like I, I had one. Like, my partner had one, and it is truly the epitome of confusion when it enters your mouth. Like it is <laughs> impossible to grapple with. Um, but it's just a Joe Louis with right. Oh, it's the seaweed. It might be the seaweed. <laughs> If you seaweed, it's a seaweed plus twinkies. And it's the incredible, yeah, that marshmallowiness <laughs> with the particles of rice is, it's incredibly pr problematic, I think. <laughs> and it just short circuits your brain. But I think the show was hopeful for me because I legitimately felt like I was connecting with Ayaka. And this, this felt like real cross-cultural exchange yeah. where having people eat your food. Like, I, I think I, I know people talk about how food is like the best way to get to know somebody, but to actually like experience it in the moment, it, you could feel it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and that's, and when we're talking about sort of space and maps and problems too, like you guys have changed geography through this interaction. Mm -hmm. You feel very close, even though you're very far, which is extremely important. It's going to continue to be past 2020 as we remain a little bit further away from each other than we all were before. Mm-hmm. But that, that feeling gave me a lot of hope because if other people could experience this kind of closeness, no matter the distance from each other, then I don't know how we'll get everyone to experience that. But I think that force felt powerful. And I think anyone feeling it would be changed by it. Yeah, this this year, um, I've started to love the internet again. Mm -hmm. Like seeing it as a more powerful, connective tool. Yeah. Well, that's like, yeah. I mean, the app you've developed, a web-based app for, for protest, it's like the interaction between, and I'm old, so like, <laughs> we've seen waves of this and become very cynical, where I just watched this kind of dreamscape of, I guess, the internet turn into like, just um, Amazon, basically, mm -hmm. Facebook, I, I watched all that happen. So now watching those things get kind of snatched by the kids and used for cool stuff is delightful. Yeah, I... I I have the same concern of watching the internet being dragged down by capitalism. I'm mm. going to say Let's it. do it. Let's go there. Um, it's just the monetization of every resource, every website, and all the data that has been turned into currency. Like, it's... It, if Facebook is 
writing down everything you do and say in order to sell it to an advertiser. Right. Um, and the use of like algorithms to push things in front of your face. Or, po- or political um, agenda. Or, or political agenda. Um, election results. <laughs> yeah. it Like being an early, well, I wouldn't say early, but like I grew up on the internet and I could see such a drastic change from how the internet used to be like 15, 10 years ago to today. Yeah. And it's, it's a totally different beast. And that's something I, it makes me feel old. <laughs> and that really is such a painful thing. Oh my God. It gets worse. Um, Just kidding. Oh, it gets better. That's what I'm supposed to say. <laughs> does it get better? I need to, I need you to tell me it gets better. It gets both worse and better. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm going to tell you. Um, there's, the older you get, there's just more memories shoved in your head, and that's all kinds of different things. Um, mm-hmm. But there's also, like... Actually, I was going to say, they say that you get, like, less, like, up, like I don't know, things don't get under your skin as much. But I felt more like I need to get involved, and I felt more upset getting older. Because mm-hmm. I must be 20 years older than you, and, like, when when... People your age on mass are like, why did this generation before us forsake us? I was like, this is all the stuff we were trying to do. Why didn't it happen? I'm mm-hmm. mad at my generation. Yeah. Um, I guess you should be. Yeah. <laughs> I am. Um, everyone should be. But it's hard to... I want to use the anger and fuel it. Use it as fuel for... As productivity. Yeah. As joy as something else like we we take out our anger by crafting a really funny biting tweet like i feel like that's what i want to see mm. like this the, the the care for these issues and the anger i want to i want it to fuel our art and that as a movement is something that i want to be a part of it to experience i want i want some people i want the passion of these very real problems to be to drive the comedic con- concepts that we're that we're working towards making in the in the near and far future. But I don't know if that's um, you know what I'm not going to discount what I just said. Yeah, I said what I said. Don't I think I think it's I mean okay. Here's a question: Do you have any thoughts about how do we dismantle all the problems of the internet? Who all of them? <laughs> but, but I mean the structural problems. Given that these giant, I mean, we're I guess we're seeing it right now in the United States with these sort of tech giants having to speak about their potential monopoly power. So that's something. Mm-hmm. That's a good first step. Mm-hmm. Um, demanding transparency. I don't think. I think you have to establish policy to force websites and tech giants to make transparency. Um, a priority in order for them to do it. Uh, and I think that's a good first step. Breaking them up, the big tech giants, it's a good step. The, in the long run, I don't know, though, because I think we might just be past a point of no return where we're not going to... We're too savvy now. We It's not early internet anymore. It's not the dot-com boom. It's not early YouTube anymore. We're, we're savvy. We're business-minded because we're in a capitalist system when we need to survive. Yeah. So... There might just not be any going back, but I, I guess my answer is I don't know. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I, I'm also. This is the thing. Like, I, you know, we live in this capitalist system. Personally, I've been extremely frustrated by its violence and hurtfulness for mm-hmm. much of my life. But now I'm like, okay, I'm in my 40s. What can I do? Can I do anything to change this? I'm constantly making those, you know. You keep your mouth shut about things because you have to to keep your job. How do we af- absolutely smash it is where I'm at now. Do we have to move out to the woods and have a commune? Um, that was tried in the 70s. <laughs> Maybe worth another shot? I don't know. Yeah. Um, I think, I don't know. Maybe it's just a matter of making new spaces or keeping an eye out for the new spaces that come up and supporting them vocally and with all you got. It's a hard question to answer and yeah i brought you on my podcast to, so, that can, <laughs> so that you can tell me how to fix capitalism and everybody else oh god it's a big See, ask the problem i have is like wanting to to help people and further causes and make special specifically comedy a better place yeah 
But at the same time, I'm 22 years old and I need the space to make mistakes and be vocal and sometimes wrong or or just to to maybe not care one day of the week or something. I don't know what it is mm. to be 22 years old, but I I think sometimes my own personal problems, I don't give myself the benefit of the doubt when right. I'm like trying to add my critique or commentary on some social justice faux pas done in the comedy community. Like it's, I have to speak out, but at the same time, I just got here. <laughs> yeah. And it shouldn't, it, and it's, it shouldn't be your job. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. For everybody who was already here, what were you guys doing in that 22? Is there, is what I'm doing anything at all? Like what, what those guys were doing? How were they having fun? Do I need to... I, I'm having fun. I don't need to ask well, what they were doing. Well, I mean, I can tell you what I was up to around 22. I was doing clown shows, but also that was around the time that we started Catch 23 at Clinton's. Mm-hmm. And that was a different landscape. Um, and, you know, there were no... There was no comedy bar. Second City was not on my radar. It was in town, but, like, I wasn't paying attention to it. We were just kids who wanted our own show and... Went to a bar. I think Graham Wagner went and convinced Clintons to let us perform on Monday nights because they weren't making a lot of money on Mondays with bands anyway. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of shows around town like that. In fact, a lot of what's pooled up into sort of a monopoly in space is all came from independent other spaces. I think coming out of this pandemic, that could happen again. And I, I think that um, – Anybody who doesn't want competition is scared of their own mediocrity, is what I think. Mm -hmm. So, um, but I think that that's what I'm seeing you guys doing on, you know, Bad Dog TV. The only difference is that our work was way more ephemeral. (laughs) Like, it was not scary because no one was ever going to see it again. Mm -hmm. Although you guys are very ephemeral with the TV show. Yeah, I was going to say. Do you like that? Do you like that it just goes away? Yes and no. Yeah. I like the, like, I live on the internet. I, I've been a fan of many a live stream mm-hmm. and it, it, live streams are the digital, basically the digital equivalent of improv. Like you are experiencing a moment with the people in the, on the channel, in the chat room at that moment. Mm-hmm. And when it's gone, it's gone. There's, there is like a sense of community that comes from it. There's, a sense of spontaneity. Yeah. And I like that. But from like a marketing point of view, like you want to, it's a lot easier to push forward the work that we're doing if at least some of it is retained in some sort of space, on some sort of digital space. Yeah. Having a body of work that's because you've done the work to make it, having a mm-hmm. body of work out there does help considerably. It does help. So, I mean, for me, like doing high tea, I, I get to have, well, one, I keep all the episodes I film. So I have those recordings. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also make myself record a sketch for each show. So I have now I, I get, I have that done once I do the, the episode and I, I have the knowledge that I, I learn for my rant of the week. I have my news headlines, which, I then used to pitch to the Beaverton yep. later that week. Like every part of my show can be is is modular and can be used in some other sort of way. Mm. Um, but the show itself, I think, I want more to be done. I, I, I want to keep thinking about what can be done to to push it forward. Yeah. Um, in the meantime, I'm having a good time. Well, and I think that you're. I think you know that it's your. It is your playground time. In your in your creative life, mm-hmm. you know, as you said, it's your time to have fun, have joy, make mistakes, learn things. I mean, truly, nobody should ever leave that moment <laughs> or that feeling completely, because then that's how you make yourself irrelevant. I think, but mm-hmm. but yeah, um, and 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 in our household, we had a big debate about the ephemeral nature of your show. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Oh, a big debate. What were the well, major I, points? Well, is very much into like ephemeral art making. And mm-hmm. he does it with physical artwork. And it, it really, it breaks me to see him destroy things that he makes that are wonderful. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like visual artwork. And and I have this sort of like 
like I want to connect people and I want that to be out there so I can share it and show it to people. But there's but both things are values. Mm-hmm. I'm interested to hear that you also feel both ways about it. <laughs> uh, I think I lean more toward the ephemeral side. Oh, I tore one that argument. He's kind of a little bit, I'd say. Um, but not completely because like I want, I think that's what draws me to like live production. Like you have to be there to see it. Yeah. And for me, when I'm writing, like I wrote my last solo show, Thoughts and Prayers, mm-hmm. that show was intended to be performed in the space that it was at the moment that it was. It's a show that I don't think will work in 2021 hmm. without major revisions. Um, I like making work that is for the people right now because I don't have access to a past or a future, really. Right. These are the, the people who matter, the people who are here right now. And so that's what I'm trying to gear my work towards. But I also think it's a very Gen Z mentality to not think about legacy or consequences at all because the world is ending. Well, I will say this was my approach as a young artist as well. And there's ways in which I regret it or I just feel tired and poor now. Mm-hmm. So, so some of my concern comes from that. But it's also, but, but also, yeah, why did we get into this? To share moments with people. Mm-hmm. I think that's what's most important. I'm I'm not speaking very... How do I sound? Do I sound like... Do words come out of my mouth properly? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. <laughs> in my opinion, Need to yes. check in once in a while. Okay, great. Um, yeah, I've also been thinking lately about how legacy is a dangerous thing. Mm-hmm. Because it means wanting to leave a mark. It does. Why do we want six billion marks all over the place? No. That's a lot of marks. Yeah. There's too many marks. We have Mark Ruffalo, and that's good enough. <laughs> yeah, who's your favorite Mark? <laughs> um, who is my favorite Mark? Shouts out to Mark Heaney, fellow Gen Z. <laughs> Shouts out to Mark Tzegi, my drama teacher that made the improv club at Pickering High. There's a lot of Marks out there. I'm going to get myself in trouble, but I'm going to give one to Mark Andrada. Mark Andrada, what's up? We out here. Um... Oh, I don't want to forget a mark now. What if there's like, I think I have like three marks and I might be forgetting a third. This is the weirdest segment for us to be doing at the end of this <laughs> <laughs> Um, AJ, we've, we've talked for way longer than I thought we did because it was really easy. Um, where can people find you online? You can find me at, um, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, um, what other things? TikTok? TikTok. No, I'm not TikTok. <gasps> I'm you're, not TikTok. You're a young person who's not on TikTok. That gives me such mm-hmm. relief. I refuse. I oh. My moral standard's too high for that. But Facebook just ekes in. Wait, what's what's immoral about TikTok? Oh, you don't know? Well, they're I mean, all immoral, so I don't understand the matrix of it. <laughs> <laughs> there, it's, uh, there's plenty to talk about, but I'm not going to lie. Their algorithms were shutting out queer and black people. Okay. For a while, I don't know what it's like right now, but that's been a market thing. So uh, why am I going to spend my time on a, in a system that doesn't want me there? So right, I, mean, I was like, mm, one less app on my phone. That's one more Fiona Apple album's worth of storage <laughs> I get on my phone. <laughs> you just want that album over and over again? Oh, listen, <laughs> can I take a second to plug Fetch the Bolt Cutters instead of my own work? Yes. We'll link to your own work anyway, and nobody's writing it down without listening. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay, let me start over. Find me on Facebook uh, at Ajanis Charlie, like my page. You can also find me on Instagram and Twitter at AJ with no filters. Um, uh, I also am co-founding, co-producing Untitled Black Sketch Project, which is Canada's first all-black sketch troupe. Mm-hmm. Um, it's being directed by... Brandon Hackett, who's also a guest on this show. He's wonderful. We love him. Amazing. I look up to him a lot. He doesn't know this, though, but he'll know eventually. Well, now we'll find out if he listens to the podcast. Oh, now we will. Um, and you could find that at Untitled Black Sketch Project on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, not on TikTok. And what else do I have to plug? Keep an eye out on the National Film Board website yeah. for... 
from where I am, my documentary will be there. What's yours called? I I don't actually don't. Huh? I should have asked if I get to title my documentary. Um, I'm gonna call it "I'm Gay." <laughs> okay, and um, also check out High Tea Four Thirties on most Wednesdays on most Bad, Wednesdays. Bad Comedy TV. And Ajanis, what do you think about that Fiona Apple album? <gasps> oh, Fetch the Bolt Cutters is so good. It's my favorite album of all time. I haven't listened to it yet. <gasps> so I'm going to directly after this, AJ. Yes, yes. That's the kind of album where you need to go under the covers, turn all the lights off, and don't move throughout the whole thing. That's my favorite activity. <laughs> perfect. It's a perfect album for you. Lying still in the bed is absolutely my favorite thing to do. <laughs> This album's made to be listened in that condition. Oh, gosh. It's going to be like my 90s bedroom. <laughs> uh, thank you perfect. so much. Everybody go check out Cop Out app, too, and trust AJ to use it. <laughs> mm-hmm, Spread it please. around in your communities. It's a tool. Mm-hmm. And um, thank you so much. Thank you. Bye, buddy. Bye. Word podcast is produced by me, Becky Johnson, from Parkdale in Toronto. Artwork this week by Liz Aston, and our theme music, as always, by Laura Barrett. For information on all of our artists and guests, please follow us everywhere at the H Word Pod or sign up for our newsletter at thehwordpod.com. 